So let's, let's worship like nobody else is listening. It's, we're all together, which is beautiful. But when you stand up to sing, sing like you're singing for God and Kim alone. Who cares if you can carry the tune or, or you have to carry it in a bucket because it falls out the bottom? Who cares if you know the melody or you don't? You're singing for God and He loves it. You're His child. He wants to hear your praise. When you stand up to confess your faith, say it loud and proud because it's true. Maybe you'll disagree, but I think that one of the most entertaining things to ever watch in all the world is when somebody's doing something and they think no one's watching. It's so fun to walk into somebody's drive. You've seen this before. Maybe it's been you before. Somebody's driving down the road, their jam, their favorite song came on, and they, the windows are up, or maybe the window's down and they are singing. And they think nobody's watching and they pull up to that stoplight or that stop sign and you pull up next to them and they're just, they're, they're bopping and they're singing. They don't care because they're singing like nobody's listening. It doesn't matter if they're on key or off key. It doesn't matter if they're singing the lyrics right or not because they're having a ball. They're free. They're singing like, like nobody's listening. Or, or it's fun, isn't it? When you're in a public place, it's somehow it's become cool these days to walk around with your earbuds in and music constantly playing in your ears. When somebody kind of forgets that there's people around and all of a sudden they're dancing. And they might be on beat or they might be off beat and I don't know how to dance. Maybe they can, maybe they can't. Maybe, they, maybe they're smooth, maybe they got no groove, but they don't care because they're free. And they're dancing like like nobody's watching. Maybe that's what you do when nobody's home. You turn the music up and you grab your vacuum cleaner or you grab your wash towel and you just, you, you get down, right? Maybe, maybe singing and dancing isn't your thing. Maybe not. It's not everybody's thing. But what would life be like if we lived our lives like nobody else was watching, like we were playing, like, like we were on stage and God was the only one in the audience playing for an audience. What would life be like if we lived like nobody was watching us? If we sang, what would worship be like if we sang like nobody else in church could hear us sing? If we prayed as if it was me talking to God, just me, what would life, what would worship be like if we lived, if we sang, if we worshiped, if we prayed like nobody was listening, nobody was paying attention, it was just us and God? So my question is, what's holding you back? What, what's keeping you from living in such a way that you're free? Like the person in their car, just jamming. <laughs> Because they love the song and they want to sing. What, what's keeping you from dancing? Like, no, what's holding you back? Today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2, and what you see is there was nothing holding the wise men back. 
There was nothing stopping them from coming to worship Jesus. Think about the things that could have stopped them. The wise men came from the east. They were, talk a little bit more about this a little later, but the wise men were a group of advisors, maybe studiers of the stars. And there were, we always think it was three, but the Bible never says three. There were wise men, magi, plural, more than one. But there were certainly wise men, magi, who stayed behind. What are you doing packing up your camels and loading up your saddlebags to travel where? This star just suddenly appeared and you're going to go follow that? And the trip? It was not one of these day trips where you, you pack up your car and go to a fossil rim and come back later that day. This was a long, tedious, dangerous trip. But the wise men, they came to worship, and nothing was going to stop them. This is how it starts. Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came and asked, came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, we don't know a ton of, about the Magi. They might, have just, they might have been advisors to the king. During the days of Daniel the prophet, Daniel was the head of all the wise men, and they were the head of the Magi. You can, you can go look back at Daniel. And he was their head, and they were advisors to the king. At other times in history, Magi were astrologers, kind of magicians of sorts. They would study the stars and basically tell the future. It seems like these magi were just stargazers. They were astronomers. They, they knew the stars, and so all of a sudden when a star rose, it was a new star, a different star, a star they hadn't seen before. And what's crazy is we don't even know how they knew anything about Jesus. It's possible that Daniel shared something with magi way back before, and now that had been passed on to these magi, but these magi, they didn't know much. Did, did, do you see what they confessed? All they know, this is all they know. Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? They know a king has been born, but they don't even know where. But what do they want? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. See, the wise men knew so little As far as we know, the wise men knew very little about Jesus. But they still, that was not going to stop them. They still knew that he was great. Because why do you worship? Because you're less and he's more. The lesser always worships the greater. They, they knew who Jesus was and nothing was going to keep them from coming before him with their songs, with their gifts, with their worship. They, they get to Jerusalem. They don't know where to go. Herod finds out and then, then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find it, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. That must have seemed funny to the wise men, don't you think? Why are you calling us secretly? Why don't you want anyone else to know about this, Herod? 
But I don't think that even dawned on their minds because the wise men had one thing on their mind. We're going to come worship Jesus. And Herod found an answer for us. Go and search carefully. Go to Bethlehem. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. These wise men had one thing on their mind. Tunnel vision. They were coming to worship Jesus. They needed to know where, so they found out where. And then they made their way from Jerusalem about 12 miles to the south to Bethlehem. And then all of a sudden that star, for whatever reason, it had disappeared, but now it's back. And like a kid at Christmas, they saw the star and they were overjoyed. The Greek's actually really awkward here. But what the Greek wants to tell us is that this was, you can't even contain, you can't even describe their joy. They, they rejoiced a great joy a lot, is kind of the literal translation of that section. In other words, they were giddy glad, bubbling with joy because they, look, there it is, guys. It's the Savior. That's the star we saw. That's why we traveled hundreds and hundreds of miles from Persia or Babylon or further east. That's why we came. It's back. And then, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshipped him. They, they forgot all about how royal they were back home. These, these kings from the east with their royalness and they got down on their knees, the lesser before the greater, and they worshipped him and they showed him all the affection that they had. They gave him their very best. They gave him gifts. They, they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. There was nothing going to stop them. Nothing going to hold them back from worshiping their Savior, from worshiping their God, from bringing him their very best. Not the distance, not the naysayers, not the, not the disappearing of the star. Not the cost that surely this trip and the gifts cost them. Because he was worthy of it. And he was worth it. But you probably caught that we skipped a section of this story. Herod didn't feel so. Go backwards. Compare the wise men with everybody else. When King Herod heard this, that they were looking for a king, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. They came looking for a king, and Herod was scared. And his people were scared. Herod, this is the Herod who is called the Great. But only great because he was really cruel 
and because he built some pretty cool stuff. In Jerusalem, Herod was hated and feared by everybody. Because the way that Herod operated in his little area that Caesar let him rule, if you were a threat to him, your head was at threat. Your head was at risk. He was bloody and bloodthirsty. And so when Herod heard, a king's been born of the Jews? Wait, no, that's me. But you notice his emotion? He was disturbed. He was scared. And the people were too. You notice he calls them all in and says, what do the scriptures say about the Messiah? Where is he supposed to be born? And they, they, they don't, I don't think they had to think about this. Calls in the Jewish leaders, where's the Messiah supposed to be going? Oh yeah, Micah said something about that. Micah 5, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small, out of you will come a ruler. See, the, the, the people that Herod ruled, they, they knew, here's the next one, they knew much more about the Savior. But they were afraid. If you were alive back then and you heard about these wise men who were coming to look from the Savior... And you know that he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. And this whole entourage of wise men come. And they're leaving to Bethlehem. What would you do? Knowing what we know, we'd probably pack up our bags and go with them, right? But do you notice? No one goes. Herod actually says, go, go get a report for me. Come, come back and tell me where they are. He doesn't even, Herod doesn't even send a spy. And nobody else follows. Why? Because they're scared. And the Jews, they, they continue to live scared, even though they knew more. I was curious about this, so I did a quick search in the, throughout the whole New Testament. In the Gospel of John, four times, people learn more and more and more about Jesus. They knew that he was the Savior. They started to connect some of the dots. And yet, no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of the leaders. That's just one example. Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. You see a trend? Fear. Fear keeps people, sometimes even keeps us, from worship. So let me ask you the question, who's your Herod? Now, I don't mean to say that God meant Herod to be symbolic here. Herod's a real person. But consider the question, who is it in your life that kind of binds you up so that you're scared to live and worship freely? Who is it that when you, you, you have a thought or a question and you're making a decision about what to wear for church... You think, instead of thinking, what would God want me to wear to honor him? You think, what would somebody think about what I'm wearing? Instead of asking the question, what would God think about this haircut or this hair color? We think, what would so-and-so think about this haircut or this hair color? You see the difference? 
Are, are we living to honor and worship God? Or are we living to honor and worship other people? And when you stand up to sing or you stand up to confess, what makes you afraid to sing loud and proud? Are you afraid somebody might hear your bad note and think poorly of you? Or, or maybe you're Herod. And, and you're the one trying to control and restrict and protect. And you're the one imposing your will on other people, saying this is the way you ought to dress, this is the way you ought to be, this is the way you ought to parent. But, but no matter where you fall, you're in the same place, right? Because go back to what Matthew describes in Jerusalem. Both when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. They were all scared. Herod was scared because he's trying to protect his throne and his kingdom. The people are scared because they're trying to protect their throne and their kingdom, the little fiefdom that God had given them under Herod. Right? We tend to be afraid of Herod or to be afraid like Herod. Either way, it's the same. Because ultimately, what has happened if we're afraid of Herod? Herod has become a god to us. And we care more about what that, what Herod thinks than about what God thinks. And what happens when we're like Herod and we're imposing our will? Well, we've made ourselves to be a god of sorts, have we not? But, but the wise men, they put all that aside and they're not afraid. Where is, go back to the beginning, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. It's, it's amazing how little I think the wise men actually knew about Jesus. And yet, they knew how great he was. And they didn't care what the magi back home were saying. They didn't care how much the trip was going to cost them, how dangerous the trip might be. They didn't care how long it was going to take. They weren't worried about Herod. It must have seemed funny to them that Herod had a secret meaning to them, but they didn't care. They knew where the, where the Messiah was going to be born, and they were going to go. They weren't afraid. Dear friends, we know so much more and so much better than the wise men did. We know, we know way more. Look at what, what Peter says. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. And you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. We know more than the wise men. We know more than the Jews. We, we have, as Peter says, the prophetic message as something completely reliable because what do we have? We have the promise and the fulfillment. We have the whole puzzle that God laid out for us that we might know and believe. We can say Micah said in Bethlehem. Oh, he was born in Bethlehem. We have Isaiah. He, was born, he will be born of a virgin. He was born of a virgin. He, he will suffer 
and suffer and die, just like Isaiah said. And he did. And he will not see decay, as the Psalms say. And his body didn't see decay. And the wise men will come and worship, Psalm says. And they did. We have the whole puzzle. And not only that, but we, we have a much clearer picture of why Jesus came. We have a much clearer picture of what Jesus was coming to do. See, the wise men didn't get his kingdom. They knew he was a king, but what kind of king? The Jews, they, they knew he was going to be a king, but what kind of king? The disciples. How many times does Jesus have to whack them over the head and say, no, not that kind of kingdom, boys? We know better. Jesus was a king who left his kingdom, who left his throne to give us the kingdom. What's happening at Christmas, what's being revealed to us at Epiphany is that God, from all eternity, the King of kings and Lord of lords, left heaven left his throne on high and was born of a woman. And I don't mean that derogatorily. Born of a woman. Born in a manger. Born to die. He left his throne to give us the kingdom. A kingdom not of this world. A kingdom not of stones and bricks and mortar. See, sometimes I think we forget that. I think Abraham had a leg up on us in this, that God promised Abraham the land of Canaan, but Abraham always lived in a tent. As Americans, we like, the, part of the American dream is to buy and own a house, right? Set down roots and foundations and get a place and property. Abraham never had that. And so the writer of the Hebrews says, because Abraham knew that there was something better for him. And dear friends, there's something better for us. A king, a city without foundations, whose architect and builder is God. He, he left his kingdom to give us the kingdom. He lost his good name to give us his name. Think about this. Jesus is, the, the, we, what do we say? He has the name above every name. That in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth. But who bows? The wise men do. A few others do. But this name of Jesus is dragged through the mud as someone who hangs out with prostitutes and tax collectors and sinners. And it's not just his reputation among the people of this world. It's his reputation before God. He took on the reputation that was ours. Sin. Sinner. Whatever your sin is. He claimed your reputation as his own. And because of his bad, the bad reputation he took from you, God killed him. Why? To give you a new name. Name child of God. 
a name that has no derogation attached to it. I just made up a word, I think. A name that people can't say anything bad about because it's holy, blameless, spotless, pure. You have no, nothing bad against you. Jesus lost his good name to give you his good name. Here's what I hope you see today. Here's, here's call it the big idea. When we've met Jesus and we know him as we do, nothing will hold us back. When we've met Jesus and we know him as we do, nothing will hold us back. We have a kingdom that no one can take from us. We have a kingdom that cannot be destroyed. We have a name that cannot be sullied. We have a reputation that is unimpeachable. That's not made up. Because our reputation comes from Jesus. So let's, let's worship like nobody else is listening. It's, we're all together, which is beautiful. But when you stand up to sing, sing like you're singing for God and Him alone. Who cares if you can carry the tune or, or you have to carry it in a bucket because it falls out the bottom? Who cares if you know the melody or you don't? You're singing for God and He loves it. You're His child. He wants to hear your praise. When you stand up to confess your faith, say it loud and proud because it's true. When you pray, I know that you mean it. But say it like you mean it. If worship was an emoji, sometimes we go through emoji like worship like we're a meh. This is better than a meh. This is a yeah. There must be an emo a yeah emoji. I'm not that cool though. Right? Let's worship, let's sing, let's pray like, like it's just you and God. And, and by the way, your life is worship too. Worship is not just an hour on Sunday morning. It's every day, every hour, every minute, a life for God. So as you leave today, live your life, worship your God like nobody else is watching. You live for Him and you live for Him alone. You, 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 the, way that you, the decisions that you make, make them because of Him. Make them because you love Him. Make them because you... you no, another word. Make them because he is the best thing. He is greater than all. Worship him in your life like nobody else is watching, like it's just you and him. Play for that audience of one. Because, dear friends, I want you to be that guy who's in their car, banging their head, singing whatever it is that they're singing like nobody's listening. I want you to be that gal who's just out Dancing, doesn't care who sees. Maybe dancing or singing isn't your thing, but I want you to be that guy, I want you to be that gal, so free because of the kingdom and because of the name that you have. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.